Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Well, here we are, the very first week of a brand new series. I'm excited about this series. I think it's going to be so helpful for our entire church. And if you're taking notes at home, the title of this series is Per Capita. That's right, it's a Latin term, per capita. For so many, you might know what it means. It's like a statistical term. I want to try to turn the prism just a little bit this month and give it our own fresh kind of meaning. And so this next number of weeks on Sundays and in all of our hubs and and even flowing into our conference, we're going to be looking at this theme, per capita. And uh, we're giving this theme the meaning uh, of speaking around spiritual gifts. Now, for many people in our church, they've asked me even recently, can we talk more about spiritual gifts? I want to know and understand more about the spiritual gifts that I might have. And for some who may be newer to faith, you're going, Spirit, spiritual gifts, what are, what are you even talking about? Well, the Bible does speak on a number of occasions about spiritual gifts. And so we're going to do our best to unpack some of that and see how we can apply it to our lives and all in this theme. Why don't we pray and then dive in? Jesus, I expect you to speak in these next number of weeks. And humbly, God, I ask that you would do so in in a way that would be memorable, that would be significant, and that would be impacting in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This, This term per capita, it's a Latin word which means upon each head. It's used most often in economics, most often in statistical analysis to actually establish what is fair, what is average, what is normal, what is expected. Like you might say, the the city of Toronto has more great burger joints per capita than the city of Vancouver. But the city of Vancouver might have more great sushi joints than the city of Toronto per capita. It's like uh, allowing you to compare two things that are different and put them on equal terms. Some of you are like, bro, we know what per capita means. Well, let me tell you when I learned what per capita meant. I was probably six or seven. And uh, for my birthday, I decided I wanted to invite some of my friends to go bowling. And so my, my, my party list was like myself, my brother, my sister, my cousin Ross, and a couple of kids from school. And then my mom was there, my dad was there. And I think if, if I remember correctly, maybe my grandma and grandpa had come as well. And there we were at a little bowling alley in Prince George, and we were playing five pin bowling. And, uh, and like, is anyone actually good at bowling? I'm not sure. I, I know I wasn't. But the way it worked, we were in this bowling alley that for the first time that I could recall, had the the screens where the score went up. It's funny that that used to be a thing that bowling alleys would promote. They're like, we have automatic screen scoring. And so our scores were listed side by side. And the way that the teams worked, there was one team with four members and one team with five members. I was on the team with five members. And I was doing the math the entire time thinking we are winning this game. We have more total points than the other team has. I'm glad I've got Ross on my team. I'm glad my grandpa's on my team, not my grandma. And I'm glad that we're stacking more points on our team. And as the last frame was bold and we got to the end and I looked at that bottom segment where it said total points 
my team won. It was my birthday and we won. And I thought this is just the greatest thing. And then I, I saw people kind of talking and discussing and, and tabulating and adding. And I'm like, guys, there's an automatic scoreboard. I can tell you who won. It's my team. We have more total points. Only for the victor to, victory to be declared that the team with four players had actually won. Well, I remember thinking even at six or seven years old, this isn't fair. My team has more points. And then it was explained to me, your team has more points, but because it has more players, you need to take the total and divide it by the number of people. And this is the number of points you have per capita. And I remember thinking even at that moment, this isn't fair. But I suppose it was actually like the most fair thing ever, right? Like, like all statistics put through that type of formula per capita ends up making it the most fair possible. Isn't it funny how often we think that things aren't fair, but it's just that we don't like them? Like sometimes things happen to us and we're like, well, that's not fair that it happened to me. And what we're really saying is I don't like that the thing that should have happened to me happened to me. Like I got a speeding ticket. It's just not fair. Were you speeding? Well, yeah, but I have a friend who was speeding and they didn't get a ticket. And we, we compare two dissimilar things and, and we declare that it's not fair. We find out that somebody's vocation, somebody's chosen vocation makes more money than our chosen vocation and we make the declaration that's not fair. But then you stop and do some of the math and you figure out how much schooling they did or how much skill it takes or the meritocracy in which they're working in. And you go, I guess actually maybe it's the most fair thing that there, there ever could be. Fairness is a strange thing that we aim for. It's a strange thing that, that politicians run campaigns on. It's a strange thing that societies uh, organize themselves around. And it's even more strange when you see fairness as a, a method of measurement within the church. And if that's the case, you're saying, well, Justin, then why did you pick a title per capita if, if we're not talking about fair? In fact, today's message is, is entitled, Favor Ain't Fair. You might have heard that saying before. We're going to make that the title today. Favor ain't fair. So why are we using the term per capita if we're not talking about equitable fairness? Well, Interestingly, because it means upon each head, I think it's a beautiful picture of the way that God gives gifts. Do you know when God gives a gift, he doesn't do so with fairness in mind. He actually does so with favor in mind. And let me, let me show you this concept of favor. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Psalms, if you will. Psalm uh, chapter 90 and verse 17. Psalms 90 and 17. It says this, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of, of our hands for us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. Do you know that it's biblical and appropriate for us to ask God to show favor on our lives? It's something that God is pleased to do, to give a special portion of grace and blessing on our lives. Let me show you in, in Psalm 103, just a few pages over, it says this, Psalm 103, starting at verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord my soul, let all my inmost being praise His holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all God's benefits. He forgives all our sins. Well, well that's not fair. No, that's favor. He heals our, all our diseases. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not fair. No, it's just, it's favor. 
He redeems our life from the pit. That's not fair. It's favor. He crowns our life with love and compassion. He satisfies our desires with good things that our youth may be renewed like the eagles. I'm telling you, the Bible would make the case that favor is not fair. Favor is a gift that God gives individually, a grace he puts upon our lives, and he does so one head at a time, not so we can compare, not so we can do a statistical analysis and say this much blessing divided amongst this much people, but God actually knows your story. He knows your name. He built you with purpose. He built you with destiny. He designed you with giftedness in mind. And I believe this. He is placing a gift on your head, a grace upon your head that is so unique and so special and so necessary and so beautiful and so God honoring the spiritual gifts upon your life are going to change the world. And before I'm done today, I hope you'll agree with me that I would actually rather live in favor than in fairness. I would rather embrace the favor of God than demand a more fair system because everything we receive from God comes from grace. You know, in the Bible, there, there are three different words that are translated most frequently uh, with this English word grace. Three different Words, a couple of them are Hebrew words, and one is a Greek word, and they are translated as grace. One of the Old Testament words in Hebrew is this word chen, which means favor. It means unmerited mercy. It means God's kindness and his grace. For instance, in Psalm uh, 84 and verse 11, Psalm 84 and verse 11, it says this, For the Lord God is a son and a shield. The Lord bestows favor favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Another translation says this, that God gives grace and glory. How beautiful is that? that that's grace. That means this, that the best things we receive from God are not because of the good work we do. They're just because of the goodness of the God that we have submitted our lives Unto. Before we're done today, I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, to, to say yes to a relationship with him. And by grace, that moment of faith that you engage, you actually get to receive all of the blessing that comes in knowing Jesus as your Savior. That's one of the terms defined as grace. There's another one only, only translated as grace one or two times. It's tahina. And uh, you can see like in the, the book of Ezra, chapter 9 and verse 8, it, it talks about this, that there's like a, a special grace in response to prayer. Interesting thought that what we are asking God for is actually an act of grace. For us to, to pray and to bring our needs to God is a gift of grace. And he responds to that gift. I think it's from this particular phrase that we get the saying before a meal or before some sort of a gathering, we say, would someone please say grace? It's would someone please ask God for something that we don't deserve? Even that, that, that moment, dear Jesus, I thank you for this food that we don't deserve, for the gathering of people that we haven't earned, for the safety that we find ourselves in as, as a totally unmerited mercy that you've shown us. And I pray that you would do something significant in this moment, that you would guide our conversation, that you would bless us and think of the way that we ask God for things that aren't fair. We ask God for grace. I would rather favor than fairness. The most 
common word used for grace. And, and certainly the word used throughout the New Testament and in establishing this, it's something we need to know and understand is this word charis. The word charis is translated as grace, I think over 130 times in the New Testament. Most often when you see the word grace, it is the Greek word charis. And, and every time you see the word uh, gift, when it comes to spiritual gifts, it's the word charisma, charisma. It is a gift given from God. And the actual definition means this unmerited favor from God. God's grace is a gift he chooses to give, not because of anything we've done to deserve it. It's unmerited. It's a kindness that he bestows upon us. And all his spiritual gifts are given to us as an act of that type of grace. Now for some, if you've ever considered wanting to know what your spiritual gift is, or you've heard the term and thought, I need to figure that out a little bit more, uh, you're already tracking with me. You're following along with me in this first establishing message of this series. And for some, the thought of God giving gifts is it's a new and foreign type of thought. So I do want to read a few significant passages of Scripture that we're going to be drawing from over the next number of weeks. If you have your Bible, turn with me very, very first to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says this in Ephesians 4 verse 7. It's speaking of unity. It's speaking of the bond of peace that holds us all together. And then in verse 7 it says this, But to each one of us, grace, that's charisma, has been given, that's charisma, so it's talking about the gift of grace has been given by grace as Christ apportioned it. Jesus has a plan for your life and that plan involves a generous gift that he would give you, not because you've earned it or deserved it, an unmerited favor, and that that favor on your life, though it's not fair, would actually be a, a beautiful gift to be shared with others. Now, now turn with me, if you could, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's another establishing verse in, uh, in this whole concept. Uh, starting at verse 4, it says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one manifestations of the spirit are given for the common good to one is given through the spirit a message of wisdom and to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit and to another faith by the same spirit and to another the gift of healing by that same one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of that one same spirit and he distributes them each just as he determines. Now somebody, you're hearing that and saying, that's not fair. Like shouldn't the, the Holy Spirit figure out how much grace he's got and then apportion it equally, evenly, and equitably, fairly upon each person just according to how many people there are. Well, guess what? There is no maximum to the grace of God. He is abounding in grace and mercy. And so he doesn't have to start with one portion and, and divvy it up accordingly. He gives the grace of his gift on our lives according to a plan and a purpose that he has for our lives. It's just his unmerited favor. 
So instead of being this Latin look at per capita, how can I give the least amount to a group of people and expect the most amount? How can I find common denominators among them? God doesn't see you as common. He sees you as unique and beautiful and prized and cherished and treasured. And he says, that's my son, Steve. I got a gift for Steve. That's my daughter, Liz. And I got a gift for Liz. That, that's my son, Jedediah, and I'm going to bless him and pour a blessing and mercy on his life according to the favor that I have for him. How good is God? How incredible that God has unique and precious gifts for us. Let me show you one more scripture to kind of set this, the stage. We're going to get less into this today than I would have loved to get on week one, but we got all month to talk about this stuff. Look at the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 Starting at verse 3, it says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace, that's the charisma, that is given to each one of us. For the gift, if it's of prophecy, then we should prophesy in accordance with our faith. If it's serving, we should serve. If it's teaching, we should teach. If it's encouragement, we should encourage. If it's giving, then we should give generously. If it's leading, we should do so diligently. And if it's showing mercy, we should do so cheerfully. So in this one passage, it says this, that God is giving gifts and according to the faith that he's put within us, we should function in those gifts. And it's actually a sign of humility to allow the gift God has put upon our lives to be a blessing to the people around us. Favor ain't fair. Fairness is all about comparison. Favor is all about gratitude. Fairness is all about saying, well, how much can I get away with? How little can I actually output based on the common average of everyone else? But favor says there's nothing average about this. A living God loves you so tenderly and wonderfully that he's poured out gifts upon your life so that you could experience his happiness and you could know his, his fullness. Favor and fair. It's immaturity that stomps our feet and says, I want fairness. It's immaturity that looks at everyone else and says, I want what they have. It's ungodly wickedness that actually is showing contempt towards we have or what we have until we feel like it aligns with what everyone else has. But godliness, righteous gratitude says, whatever I've been given, I'm going to use with everything I've got. Let me show you a passage of scripture. We're going to end with this today and kind of allow this to be a bit of a, a launching off point for the remainder of this, this series. Matthew chapter 25, if you could turn there with me. For some, this will be a, a common passage of scripture, maybe a story you've heard told before, maybe one that you have uh, attempted to understand before. Maybe today we could shine a little more light upon it. This is Jesus speaking, and it's Jesus defining the, the culture of his kingdom. He's saying in the, 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 
cultural value of the kingdom of God, things look a little bit different. The emperors of the time might think of giving gifts as a per capita basis. It's given based on just what is simply fair, but that's not the way that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sees. He doesn't see us as just a nameless, faceless head. Upon each head, I will give an equal amount. He sees the person represented by that and says, I'm going to pour blessing upon their head. I'm going to pour out an anointing on their life. I'm going to give them something uniquely beautiful and wonderful. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 says this again. The kingdom will be like this. A man is going on a journey. And he calls his servants and he entrusts his wealth to them. Now, now stop one minute. Is that fair? No, no master has to entrust any of his wealth to any of his servants. But it's a good master. And so he chooses to. Then when he goes on this, uh, he, so he gives one, it says, verse 15, uh, five bags of gold. To another, he gives two bags of gold. And to the, another, he gives one according to his ability. Then he goes on his journey. Now, the first area you'll see that's simply not fair about this is the area of responsibility. The, the, the favor that comes or the responsibility that comes with favor ain't fair. Why is it that the master would say, I'm going to give you five, I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to give you one. If we're thinking in terms of fairness, this ain't fair. The responsibility placed upon each of them isn't fair. But that's not the way that... God sees things. Do you know the, the, uh, the uh, uh, sociologist or anthropologist, I should say, named Daryl Egan, he studied this and he said one bag of gold would likely have been nine years wage. And so each of these bags of gold, in some translations referred to as a talent, probably represented about nine years wage. If we were to put that in common terms today, uh, the, the national kind of... Uh, minimum wage in Canada, if these were minimum wage servants, it would be about $227,000 per bag of gold. So to one was given about 1.3 million and to another given maybe about 200,000 or 500,000 and to another about 230,000 roughly. And we could look at that and say, it's just these are big numbers, but it's just super unfair. Well, one of the things you'll notice about the servants is they don't live in comparison they, they simply are focused on doing something with what they've been given. They're urgent about it and they're invested in it. Check this out. It says the one who was given five bags of gold, verse 16, to the one who received five bags, he went at once, that's urgency, and he put his money to work, that's investment, and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them, and the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. To the man with two bags of gold, he also came and he said, Master, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Can we make a second observation here? Not only 
is the responsibility on their life seemingly unfair? Has anyone ever thought it's sort of unfair that they had to return? Like the returning of that gift seems kind of unfair. They were the ones that put the work in. They were the ones that invested the risk. They were the ones that showed the urgency. They were the ones who fought through comparison. And imagine the one with five saying, how come I have to put five to work? That person only has to put one to work. The one with two could say, well, why do I only have two? And, and, and he or she gets five. That's just so unfair. But, but the responsibility seemingly ain't fair. But this return piece, it's like, who is this master that, that he would come and, and keep them to account? Accountability. It's so funny, isn't it? I guess that's actually the most fair thing ever. To have to be held to account for what we've been blessed with. That is pretty fair. That God would say, I've trusted you with something and it matters to me. And more than that, you matter to me. And so I want what matters to me to matter to you is ultimately what the master's doing. So they come and they return. And there's this moment where they would simply need to apply some faith that the master is a good master. I've been doing all this work only to come and bring it and lay it down at his feet. Well, what does the master say to them? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what he said to the person with five talents. What did he say to the person with two talents? Oh yeah, the exact same thing. Meaning this, that the person with five was accountable for what was theirs and not what was anyone else's. The person with two was accountable for what was theirs and not anyone else's. God wasn't saying, or God who's the picture of the master in this, this story is not saying to you, how come you haven't accomplished as much as this other person that I have uniquely blessed differently? God doesn't see us that way. He says, you're my son or daughter. What have you done? with what I've given to you. In this context of spiritual gifts, he says, you have the gift of encouragement. What have you done with encouragement? And you're going, well, I, I wanted to lead. I didn't give you the gift of leadership. I gave you the gift of encouragement. What have you done with that encouragement? And to someone else, they've got the gift of leadership and, and, and they might be judged like, well, what have you done in, in prophecy? And God's going, well, I don't see it that way. I haven't given you the gift of prophecy. I've, I've asked you to lead, so who are you leading? And are you doing so diligently? And to the one with wisdom, God is not coming and saying, how are you doing in the area of, of faith and service? He's going, what are you doing with that gift of wisdom? I, I guess fairness would mean that God has a legend somewhere and a certain percentage score goes to the more important gifts and that God would see some as more valuable than others. But he just doesn't see things that way. He's poured out gifts as he decides to, and he's poured out anointing as he, he desires to. And now he's looking at us one-on-one -on -one saying, what have you done with what I'm giving you? A responsibility that might not seem fair, it's better than fair, it's favor. A returning that might not seem fair, it's actually better than fair to understand that not only is what I have the masters, but I belong to the master as well. So he says this statement, well done, good, faithful servant. Well done, essentially, you know, if you got a thumb up already, it's good job. He's going, you did exactly what I was asking for you. Good job. And then he says, you are good. That, that word means honorable. He goes, good job. What you've done is actually worthy of honor. What you've done should be noticed. What you've done needs to be made note of. And I want it to become a little bit famous. That was awesome what you did. 
He then describes them as faithful, which means they put their faith into action. They actually lived consistently with what they said they believed. So he's saying, good job. What you've done is honorable. What you've done has exercised faith. But then he reminds them this, you're, you're a faithful servant. You're a faithful servant. You did exactly what was your job to do. And then he speaks hope, future, destiny, and reward to them. He says, though you are a servant of a few things, I am going to make you a ruler of many things. That's what the, the actual Greek term is. You've been a, a servant of a few things. I'm going to make you a ruler of many things. Come and join me in my happiness. Not only is the responsibility unfair, it's favor, better than fairness. Not only is the return seemingly a little bit unfair, that accountability piece is kind of unfair, it's actually better than, un than, than fair. It's favor that God doesn't judge you according to someone else's gift. He only holds you accountable for yours. But then there's this piece, the reward, it's not fair either. The, the reward for the person with five bags of gold is the exact same word for word as the person who is given two. They are rewarded according to their own work. And the, the, the reward is this. You've been good with a little bit of work. Now I'm going to put you in charge of more work. Sometimes we think if we do our job real well, then we work ourselves out of a job. That's just not how it works in the kingdom of heaven. If you do what God has called you to do, guess what? God's going to give you more to do. But there is a joy and a happiness with doing what God has called you to do. I hope this is helping someone. I hope this is a, a bit of a launching off point for someone. We will get into some of these specific gifts. We're going to talk about what it is to have a gift of healing. We're going to talk about what it is to have a gift of prophecy or wisdom or leadership or service. We're going to do a bit of a deep dive into some of these spiritual gifts. But if we don't understand that gifts are grace, if we don't understand that it's not fairness, and we, we don't understand that there's no legend somewhere where God is saying, I value leaders this way, and I value prophets this way, and I value those with service this way. He's going, I value you so much that I have tailor-made a gift just for you. I'm going to place it on your head like a crown. I'm going to put it on your head. The, the book of Proverbs describes it this way, like a garland of grace. I am going to bestow upon you something perfectly tailor-made and fit for you. It's a responsibility that ain't fair. It's favor. I'm expecting a return that ain't fair. It's actually going to be favor. And I got a reward in store for you that ain't fair. It's a favored reward that we could join God in his happiness. Well, to the one servant, and I, I think we'll conclude with this, entrusted with one, living in fear, unwilling to invest or be urgent, maybe locked in comparison, I don't know. But the one servant does absolutely nothing with what they've been given. He says to the master, I was scared, didn't want to lose what you had entrusted to me, and so I hid exactly what you'd given me, and I'm bringing it back. Of that servant, the master says, you've been wicked. Like you've missed the mark. What you've done is so wrong. You just so mistreated the gift that I've put upon your life. The, the person here, he goes, of the master, he goes, I know you to be a very fair person. And if I did the wrong thing, you would treat me fairly. And I feel like the master's going, do you not even understand me at all? I gave you a gift, not because you had earned it, I just entrusted you with exactly what I knew you could do something with. And 
Instead, you have ejected yourself from this grace environment and put yourself back into a fairness environment. You thought that I would show you judgment because, because you took a risk and it didn't work? Well, now you're going to see a judgment of a person who just treats grace with contempt. He says, you've been wicked. You completely missed the mark. As I read this story, man, at a younger age, I probably would have got caught up with, am I a five bag of gold type person? A two bag? One bag? What, what, what type of person am I? Have I been invested? Am I being urgent? And, and as I get a little bit older, I simply, I simply just want to live for the well done, good and faithful servant. Join me in my happiness. I don't want to get caught up in all that fairness stuff. Who guts what and how are they doing? I just simply want to do the best with what God has given to me. I don't want to be the person who, who labels God as a fair master who gives us what we deserve because he's only ever proven to be a God who shows favor, grace, unmerited. So today, as we, we conclude and we launch into this whole series of thoughts, I hope your heart is inspired with this reality that God has a gift uniquely for you. I believe over the next few weeks, we're going to discover a little bit more what that is. And I really hope more than anything that instead of having our eyes on everyone else trying to guess what God is doing in their lives, we could own the responsibility he has put upon ours saying it's just God's favor and unmerited grace that he's gifted me at all. It's just God's favor, his unmerited grace that he judges me only according to what he's given me and not in comparison to everyone else. And it's just God's unmerited grace and favor that there's actually a reward in store for simply being grateful and, and, and living in gratitude to the grace that he's given me. Can I pray with you? Jesus, I thank you for every person here. I thank you that you've gifted us, that you've called us, that you have a gift upon our life, not in this statistical analysis way of saying per capita, the same amount for each person, but out of the overflow of your grace, we all receive one grace after another. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I thank you for this gifted, incredible, unique group of people. I pray that we'd understand that your favor is upon us and that you are establishing the work of our hands. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.